Good morning. Hey, this side won that one. Good morning. All right, it's good to see all of you here this morning. I have a question, but you know what? We're going to find the answer by doing a sword drill. So take your Bibles out and close them up and put them up in the air. I'm going to give the reference, and I'd like for you to repeat the reference to me, and then when I say charge, you find it. And we're going to look for an answer, and I want you to tell me what God said would happen to Jeremiah when people would fight against him, all right? So when you find the answer of what God said would happen when people fight against him, you jump up and shout it out, okay? All right, so the reference is... Jeremiah 1.19. Say it with me. Jeremiah 1.19. Church! Very good. He read it. But what do you think was the answer to the question? What did God say would happen when those would fight against him? Hannah? They would not prevail. Very good. In fact, there's three promises here, aren't there? One, they shall not prevail against thee. Two, for I am with thee, saith the Lord. Three, to deliver thee. These are the promises made to Jeremiah. Now, how many of you want to be Jeremiah? Hmm. You know, in some ways, as we're going to find out throughout Jeremiah's ministry and life, I wonder if Jeremiah just said, Lord, why did you promise to keep me alive? Just let me die. You know, over and over throughout the book of Jeremiah, we find that people wanted to kill him. Over and over. In fact, if you take your Bibles and turn over to Jeremiah chapter 11, we find a plot against Jeremiah. And we don't know exactly when this plot took place. But if we look at a sermon that it's in the middle of, it most likely took place very, very, very early in Jeremiah's ministry because the sermon is all about the covenant of God that the people are called to obey, which reminds us of the historical event of when the law of God was found by Hilkiah the high priest, Jeremiah's dad, and Shaphan read it to the king, and then the king had it read to all of the people? Well, it appears that this sermon here in Jeremiah chapter 11 and 12 was preached about that time because it follows along that same theme, which is just a few years after Jeremiah started his ministry. And what do we find out here in Jeremiah chapter 11? It says in verse 18, and the Lord hath given me knowledge of it, and I know, knew, and I know it. Then thou showedest me their doings. See, God showed Jeremiah some special things, and he's going to show them the doings of the people around him. But I was like a lamb 
or an ox that is brought to the slaughter. Have any of you ever been to a butcher house? I have. I get, got my cow from a butcher house, whole side of beef a year or two ago, and I decided to bring some of my kids along. And you know what? We went to that butcher shop, and there was this big old barn attached to the butcher shop, and it was full of cows, and they were munching away, just enjoying life. <laughs> Little did they know that within a few hours or days, I don't know how long it took them to go through the whole barn, they were all going to be slaughtered. But there they were, munching away, enjoying life. And Jeremiah is picturing that when he says, that's the way I was. Until the Lord revealed it to me. For he says, I knew not that they had devised devices against me. You know what kind of devices these are? Devices to kill. Saying, this was their plan. Let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be no more remembered. There's the plan for Jeremiah. Devices are being made against him to kill him, and their plan is to chop him down like you'd chop down a fruit tree, that he may no longer live among the living. But Jeremiah says that he was made known of this plot See, how many of you know who Jeremiah is? Oh, boy. How many of you know who Jeremiah is? Oh, good. Well, you know, these people, their plan was that you wouldn't know who Jeremiah was. Their plan was that you wouldn't know who Jeremiah was because they were going to kill him. That his name be no more remembered. And Jeremiah is kind of like, well, I was kind of like that ox that's prepared for slaughter. But then he was aware of their plot. And look what he does here in verse 20. He says, But O Lord of hosts that judges righteously, that triest the reins in the heart, let me see thy vengeance upon them, for unto thee have I revealed my cause. What does he do when he's threatened? When he's afraid? What did he do? He prayed. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, he prayed. He prayed. And then look. Here it says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord of the men of Anaoth that seek thy life. Oh, we have to stop right there. Do you guys know who these people are? Do you see that little town mentioned there? Do you know who they are? Does that ring any bells to you? Elijah's got his hands up, but anybody else? Elijah, what's it remind you of? Yeah, his hometown. How do we know that? Back in chapter 1, it tells us that was the town from which Jeremiah came from. Jeremiah came from this town. This was his hometown. <gasps> that means that of all the nation of Israel and Judah that he's prophesying to, it's the people from his own neighborhood who are wanting to kill him. Does that sound very nice? <laughs> It's exactly as God said would happen. They shall fight against thee. But God promised what? They shall not prevail against thee. I will be with you to deliver thee. So what happens here? Well, the Lord, he says of the men of Antioch that seek thy life, saying, they say to Jeremiah, prophesy not in the name of the Lord. 
that thou die not by our hand. How many of you have ever shared something from God's Word and somebody says, shut up, be quiet, don't preach to me, don't talk to me about things of God, because if you keep talking to me about things of God, I'm going to kill you. I highly doubt any of us have ever had that even threat, let alone if it were real. That was true for Jeremiah. And it came from his own neighbors. His own neighbors. Verse 22, Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword, their sons and their daughters shall die by famine, and there shall be no remnant of them. For I will bring evil upon the men of any oath, even the year of their visitation. And then Jeremiah continues on in proclaiming the righteousness of God in chapter 12, continuing on down through here. Now remember this little town? Somebody tell me again if you remember. What was Jeremiah? little hint. Remember who his father was? What was Jeremiah? Do you remember? Lincoln? He was a priest. Exactly right. This town is a town of priests. It's a priestly city. The people of the priestly city are wanting to kill Jeremiah for prophesying in the name of the Lord. Later on in this chapter, Jeremiah prophesies against the pastors, he says, who have destroyed God's vineyard, and they have trodden down underfoot. They are people who delight in lies. This whole town will be judged. Even though they're priests who should be teaching truth, they teach falsehood. Well, we flip on through a few pages, and last week we were in Jeremiah 26, and you remember there that Jeremiah was preaching. He was commanded of God to go down into the temple, into the gate, the court of the temple, and there he was to preach and diminish not a word. And remember, we looked at the sermon from Jeremiah 7 through 10 of what Jeremiah preached. And what happened last week when Jeremiah finished preaching his sermon? Did all of the people repent and turn from their backslidings and turn to God? Yes or no? No. Instead, what did they do? Does anybody remember? The priests jumped up and cried out that Jeremiah be killed. Oh, my. Here's another plot on his life. Jeremiah, in the very temple, is being sought after to be killed. But then you remember that the princes and the elders came in, and the princes and the elders said, oh, no, no, why would we do that? We can't do that. He's not done anything wrong. And so God used the princes to deliver Jeremiah out of their hands. But I wonder, how familiar are you with a guy named Urijah? I'll be blunt. I kind of forgot about Urijah. He's not a guy we typically think of. But you know what? He was another prophet that we shouldn't forget about. He was a prophet who heard the words of Jeremiah. And you know what he did? He went out and he started spreading the news and telling more people about what Jeremiah had been preaching about. 
He knew Jeremiah was telling the truth. And Uriah became a kind of a prophet. And he went about preaching and teaching the words of God that Jeremiah was preaching. But you know why it's so sad that we don't know who he is? For the most part? Is because there was a plot against him too. And it doesn't tell us that they wanted to do this, but there's some people who wanted to do to Uriah the same thing they wanted to do to Jeremiah and make it so that his name would not be remembered. You know what? I think we need to remember his name. So here we are in Jeremiah 26. Do you see there? The Lord has delivered Jeremiah from all of the people and the priests. And then we read in Jeremiah 26 and verse 20 that there was also a man that prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah. He went about prophesying, it says, against the city Jerusalem and against this land, the land of Judah, according to all the words of Jeremiah. Now, who wants to be Jehoiakim this morning? King Jehoiakim. Who wants to be King Jehoiakim? Come on up here, you can be King Jehoiakim. And you need a big bodyguard. Should dad be your big bodyguard? Yeah, yeah, big bodyguard, come on up here. Yes, so let's see here. Here we've got King Jehoiakim. And you probably remember King Jehoiakim's a bad king. Yeah. Hey, I think I like this guy as a bodyguard too. Yeah. Yeah, he'd make a good bodyguard, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, who wants to be Uriah? Who wants to be Uriah? Oh, 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 you want to come on up here? Yep, you come on up here. You, want to, you can be Uriah. And you know who you are. You're a prophet. And so you're preaching. Come on over here. I'm going to put this around your shoulders, okay? And you're preaching. And guess what? Now, that's not your brother. That's the king. And he doesn't like what you're saying. He doesn't like it at all. Now, I know you're probably not afraid of that guy. Are you afraid of him? No, no, you're not afraid of him. <laughs> but imagine if that wasn't your dad, and he was the bodyguard of the king, and he was more than a bodyguard. He was the king's personal assassin. Do you know what an assassin is? An assassin is somebody who kills people for other people. Does that sound like a good job? No, he's right. It's not a good job. So here, here we've got King Jehoiakim over there, and he's got a big dude there who's an assassin and his bodyguard. And you're preaching the words of the Lord. You're preaching that judgment's coming to this city, Jerusalem, where you're king, and to this land, the land of Judah. Judgment's coming. Jehoiakim, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like that. You know, it's one thing to make Jehoiakim mad. It's another thing to make Jehoiakim mad when he has an assassin like this. Well, here we find about this. And Jehoiakim didn't just have one assassin. He, he had quite a few of them. And your, your name is El Nathan. I wonder who gave you that name. You know what it means? El Nathan, the gift of God. Ah, that's a cool name for a bodyguard, right? It kind of sounds like a superhero name. El Nathan. That's your bodyguard. Well, here's the problem, is that King Jehoiakim and all his mighty men and all the princes heard the words of Uriah. He heard their words. And you know what? The king, he sought to put him to death. 
Now, here's the thing. Uriah didn't have the same promise and guarantee that Jeremiah did. Jeremiah had this promise. They will name the king, the princes, the people, the priests. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I will be with you to deliver you. Uriah did not have that same promise. And so when he hears of this plot of the king and the princes, you run away. Does that sound like a good plan? Well, there's no place in Judah to hide. So you know where he goes? Yeah, let me come over here. You see that sign up there? That sign says Egypt. Egypt's a long ways away from Judah. And you go and you hide over here. You see this? In Egypt. So you just hide. Because the king, the king and his bad guys want to kill you. So Uriah, he goes to Egypt to hide. Do you think he's safe? No. Well, it tells us that Jehoiakim, the king, sent men into Egypt, namely Alnathan, the son of Achbor, and certain men with him into Egypt. So that's what you do. You send them to Egypt. So he and certain men with him, they, they go to Egypt, and you know what they do? They find Uriah, and they capture him. And they bring him unto Jehoiakim, the king. How many of you want to be brought to Jehoiakim, the king? What does Jehoiakim, the king, want to do? Kill him. It says right there that he sought to put him to death. Well, you know what happens? The big bad assassin, El Nathan, captures you, brings you to King Jehoiakim, and the Lord's going to rescue him, right? Right? He's a prophet, like Jeremiah. The Lord's going to rescue him, right? But Jehoiakim slew him with the sword. Yeah, I didn't give you a sword. You might take too much pleasure in killing your brother. But that's what Jehoiakim did. He slew Uriah with the sword and then cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. Poor guy. You're going to take him and carry him out? Well, you stay here for a moment because you know what? You guys go ahead. But this, this king here, he's killed one of them. You see why I don't think it's good for us to forget Uriah? We need to remember Uriah's name. He was a prophet like Jeremiah and he only shows up here in what? Three little verses. And he was martyred. Do you know how many millions of Christians throughout the ages, and may I say saints throughout the ages, have been killed for the truth? Let's not forget them, and may they encourage us to be bold for the truth. But you know what? You and all the people aren't satisfied with just knocking out Uriah. You still want Jeremiah. But there's somebody else who's still taking care of Jeremiah. So remember, to give you a little history, 
Remember Hilkiah, the high priest, who found the law? He gave it to Shaphan, the scribe, who brought it to King Josiah and read it to King Josiah. Shaphan, the scribe, has a grandson. And that grandson, it tells us here in the end of 26, takes a special care to be used of God to protect Jeremiah from guys like this. So now, let us look now at chapter 27. Chapter 27, we find, it says that in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, it's important to note that. Some Bibles will change that name because as they've received down through the history, the manuscripts, they are convinced that the scribes throughout history made an error and made a mistake and should have put Zedekiah there because they say in verse 3 and then later in the chapter is talking about Zedekiah. So the scribe must have made a mistake there. Well, you know what? I don't think the scribe made a mistake because even in the book of Jeremiah, it tells us that the words of the Lord shall be preserved to every generation. And if you happen to have a Bible that puts, puts um, Zedekiah's name there instead of Jehoiakim, and it's kind of sad because I looked at several, and they put over in the footnote, most manuscripts have Jehoiakim. And I don't know why they didn't just put the Zedekiah in the margin and leave Jehoiakim in the text. Because most texts have Jehoiakim. And that is what makes sense here. But yet people, well, it actually, let me change that. It doesn't make sense at first glance. But if we look at it closely, we'll find out that it does make sense. See, what's going on here is that there's 11 years difference from the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim to the beginning of the reign in chapter, in verse 3 of Zedekiah. There's 11 years difference. But here's the thing we need to recognize. There's a very, we don't have to jump and say, oh, somebody must have made a mistake, so let's scribble that out and put a new name in there. Let's look at it and say, ah, they didn't make a mistake. What's it mean? Well, what it means is, is that between verses 1 and 3, there is a period of 11 years. There's a period of 11 years. And when you look at that and know that perspective, then it all makes sense. And so God gives Jeremiah a commandment in the beginning of your reign. Owen, you want to come up, up here and play Jeremiah for me? The Lord gives him, gives him this command. He's, in verse 2, Thus saith the Lord to me, to Jeremiah, Make thee bonds and yokes and put them upon thy neck. Here is the command that comes to him in the early of your reign. But yet, God then goes on and gives you instructions of what you're supposed to do with this bonds and yokes. But that doesn't happen for another, for another 11 years. So you're supposed to make bonds and yokes. Do you know what those are? Oh, they're your favorite thing. <laughs> Chad made these for me 11 years ago. Jeremiah was told to put, make bands and yokes. You know what a yoke is? You're going to find out. Go ahead and grab it up here with your hands. Ah, but we're not done. 
This look like fun, Jeremiah? How's this feel? Stay there. Hold on. Hold on. Is that hurting your neck and shoulders? I'm sure it is. So let's see, maybe change it. Oh, hold on. Yeah, can. Is that better? Is that better? Is that better? That's pretty rough. That's pretty rough. Now, how many of you want to make bonds and yokes? Now, here's what's fascinating about the 11 years here, I think. God told Jeremiah to make bands and yokes. And then he tells him, after 11 years to deliver these bands and yokes to all kinds of different people, kingdoms, and nations. <sighs> now, I don't think Jeremiah filled it with stones. But you know what I think happened here as I look at this, and if I consider the record to be true and inspired and preserved, is that for 11 years, Jeremiah carried this yoke through the cities of Jerusalem as he prophesied. How many of you have a picture of Jeremiah preaching like this? Do you know what the symbol was? This is the yoke of Babylon. And you're going to carry it for 70 years. And get this. You know what he says next? Basically, I'm paraphrasing. Make it your friend. Does it sound like something any of you want to do? Well, guess what? Neither did anyone in Jerusalem. They had no interest in doing that either. It just made them mad. But imagine now, Jeremiah, for 11 years, carries this yoke, these bonds. Shall we go make it back and make it easier, Owen? See, this isn't the way it worked. Got it? And here it goes everywhere. Preaching with this yoke. And it's implied here, if we take it as it is here, for 11 years. And then turn with us over to Jeremiah chapter 35, because about this time, Jeremiah has another sermon for the people. You can go sit down, thank you. There's a group of people living in Jerusalem at this time. They're Kenites. You ever heard that name? You ever heard of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law from many hundreds of years ago? Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, was a Kenite. He was a part of a people who were nomads. Nomads are people who don't live in houses. They live in tents. And they travel from place to place to place. Well, the Kenites have traveled throughout many lands, back down in Midian, where the Mount Sinai is. And throughout the last 400 years or so, they have wandered and been strangers in the land of Judah. Well, 
there's something that happened about 275 years before now. There was a guy named Jonadab. You ever heard of Jonadab? You have. Let me remind you who Jonadab is. Jonadab lived in the days of Jehu, king of Israel. When Jehu became king, God had commanded him to go and to execute judgment against the house of Ahab, Ahab's family. Remember King Ahab? That was 275 years ago. Well, remember, as Jehu was traveling south, he met a man named Jonadab, who was a Rechabite. And this family was a family who was perceived by many to be a spiritual family, a godly family. And so he recruits Jonadab to come with him when he comes and executes judgment against the house of Ahab. But you remember, he actually did the right thing the wrong way because he used a lot of deception and deceit in doing it. And he brought along Jonadab to help him out in this. So there's a lot of history. But now, 270-some years, approximately, have gone by since Jonadab's day. Israel is gone. And Jonadab and the Rechabites have continued. But you know, the Rechabites, Jonadab, 275 years ago, so if you think about that, when was that here in our time? What's, what's that number? Who's fast at math? 275 years ago from now? Approximately? That was a long time ago, right? Imagine, how many of you can trace your family history back that far? I can't. Most of us can't. You can. Good. 275 years ago. Now imagine if 275 years ago, your great, 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 granddad, and I don't know how many greats it would be, but that great granddad made a rule for his family as a rule that would be a perpetual rule to go for generations. See, we don't even know who our great, 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 great grandfathers are, let alone the rules they set up in their families. Is that getting heavy? I know, that's what this feels like to be Jeremiah. <laughs> and so time goes by. Time goes by. And so now 200 some years have passed by, and the Rechabites have grown into a larger family. And you know what? They continue to live in tents, and they don't live in cities, and they don't own houses, and they don't own lands, and they don't plant vineyards. They're nomads. They live in tents and travel from place to place. And another thing that was a rule made, so it was a rule of their of Jonadab, that they would not own land, they would not plant vineyards, and that they would not drink wine, anything of the fruit of the vine. And now 275 years have gone by, and you know what? His great-great-great-grandkids still follow those same rules. And just now here recently, as a result of your preaching, they are afraid because Nebuchadnezzar has come into the land, and this is a threat. But Nebuchadnezzar is coming to the land in judgment. So now, these Rechabites have all taken shelter in the fortified city of Jerusalem. And God has a plan for the Rechabites. Should we give you a break? Yeah, you want to carry this for 70 years? Yeah. Now you know why people wanted to kill Jeremiah. Because he was basically saying... This is what's coming. Embrace it. Make it your friend. Any of you want to volunteer? 70 years. That's the plan. 
Well, so now, we'll keep this on just to keep it and imagine, you know, Jeremiah wandering around the cities with his yokes and bonds. So God gives Jeremiah a special instruction now because he is going to use these Rechabites to teach the rest of the nation a lesson. And so, Jeremiah 35, it tells us here that God is going to speak to Jeremiah and has a message for him. It says in Jeremiah 35, verse 1, the word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, The Rechabites, and speak unto them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Ah. So he's supposed to gather together the Rechabites, bring them into a chamber in the house of the Lord, and he's to give them wine to drink. So he goes and he buys some wine. Nice grape juice, right? Now you might say, was it alcoholic? Was God going to have Jeremiah feed these people alcoholic? No. In fact, there's another prophet prophesying in Jerusalem at this exact time that offered some very stern warnings about giving your neighbor drink, and specifically speaking of alcohol. And so we won't go into the whole topic of alcohol, but grape juice. You're gathered together all the Rechabites. So I thought here, if we had generations come by, we need, we need some Rechabites that have show multiple generations and multiple families. And I picked a family this morning and here's what's funny. They love grape juice. But yet, imagine they were a part of a family that for 200, over 200 years, you obeyed the command of your great-great-great-great-grandfather and you didn't drink anything from the grape. So let's see. Can we have all the Vanderwerfs come on up here? And not, not just the Phil Vanderwerf family, but the Nathan Vanderwerf family. Does the Chad Vanderwerf family happen to be here? Oh, and Nathaniel and Heather's family, too. Now, this one I started imagining and thought, this is interesting. Nathaniel, how would you like to have considered Heather? And part of the consideration is that once you married her, you'd never drink grape juice again. I don't know if Philip's looking for grape juice. Oh, <laughs> you want some grape juice? How about that? Would you, how, how would you like that? It's a condition of marrying Nathan. No grape juice. No. Do you like grape juice? Oh, do you like grape juice? Oh, you don't. Yes. How about you, Ivan? Do you like grape juice? You may not know what I'm talking about. Ah, yes. Let's see here. Jeremiah has a whole bunch here. See, look. All these cups. Now, I wonder, dads, what you would have thought of Jeremiah on this day when he took all this and he came along and he says to says to Philip, drink. Opa. <laughs> this would be a big test for your family. For over 200 years, you have not drank any grape juice. Your dad never drank grape juice. Your grandpa never drank grape juice. Nobody ever. Oh, doesn't this smell good? Yes, 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 you know, people. So the offer is made. Here, here's some grape juice. Drink. Now, how would you imagine this? The prophet of the Lord offers to you, to all your kids, grape juice. 
think they're going to be able to stand alone? You think that they'll keep the commandment of their fathers? Well, so Jeremiah, he gathered together Jazaniah and the Rechabites. He brought them into the house of the Lord, into a particular chamber in this house of the Lord. And he set before them of the house of the Rechabites pots full of wine and cups. And said to them, Drink ye wine. We will drink no wine. For Jonadab the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons, forever. Neither shall ye build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any. But all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye be strangers. Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he hath charged us to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in. Neither have we vineyard, nor field, nor seed, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. But it came to pass, when Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came up into the land, that we said, Come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. Wow. That's amazing. Now, just to be clear, there was nothing morally wrong with any of you ever drinking grape juice. But this family, from generation to generation, chose to follow the advice, the command of their father's 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 father. There's a tradition here. Just as a note here, this is interesting, there's nothing wrong with tradition, especially when tradition is not wrong. There are some traditions that are wrong. But when a tradition is not wrong, here, in fact, God actually talks throughout the scriptures of the fruit of the vine being a sign of prosperity, a blessing that he gives to his people. And yet Jonadab, years ago, over 250 years ago, made a rule for his family, we won't drink it, and we won't live in houses, and we won't buy vineyards, and we won't buy fields. And so then here now, Jeremiah, he presents to them wine, says, drink. And here, right in the temple, imagine people walking by, Ooh, what are all these Rechabites doing here? And there's a bunch of wine in there. They could probably smell it. You know what they were? God was going to use them as a sermon in shoes. See, they were obeying a commandment of a man. A man. Not only a man. A man who's been dead for hundreds of years. And they're obeying a man. And God is going to use this family's example of of obedience to teach the whole nation a truth of obedience. You guys can go sit down, and, and, and I have presents. You guys will have to decide who shares what here. Who wants the sparkling one? I figured you'd want it. 
The Phil Vanderwerfs don't drink sparkling grape juice, do they? No. That's what you, you do? Yeah. Well, so now you've seen this. You know, if I were Jeremiah, I kind of would have been surprised. Here's an example of a family who were taught to obey. So God, he gives a sermon to Jeremiah. Listen to the word that came from the Lord unto Jeremiah. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction to hearken to my words, saith the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For unto this day they drink none, but obey their father's commandments. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye hearken not unto me. I have sent also unto you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Return ye now every man from his evil way, and amend your doings. And go not after other gods to serve them, and ye shall dwell in the land which I have given to you and to your fathers. But ye have not inclined your ear, nor hearkened unto me. Because the sons of Jonadab, the sons of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but this people hath not hearkened unto me. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring unto Judah and all upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the evil that I have pronounced against them. Because I have spoken unto them, and they have not heard. And I have called unto them, but they have not answered. You see the lesson that Jeremiah, that he received from the Lord, preached to the city of Jerusalem and the people of Judah is this. Did you see the Rechabites? For hundreds of years, they have obeyed, you might say, a little tiny command, big life impact, not just the Jews. They didn't live in houses. That was the command. And yet, this family, you, you might think that, you know, they'd follow the big stuff, but, you know, drinking, drinking a little bit of grape juice? They didn't do that because they were obeying a man's command. And the Lord says, do you see them? They're obeying a man's command. Why don't you obey God's commands? Why don't you obey God's commands? You see, families create rules, don't they? And kids need to obey the rules, right? And when new families are established, new families form new rules. It's what we call the autonomy of the home. It's important. Man leaves father and mother and cleaves to his wife. There's a new family that's joined, that's made. And they carry things from their different families. But that new family has to establish what their new things are. And the point of the Rechabites, they actually carried it from generation to generation to generation. You know, there's no command that ever said they had to. But they did. And it was so extreme that God decided to use them as an illustration to all of Judah. You see them? They obey a man's commandment. 
that's 200 years old, and you won't obey the commandments of Almighty God. Jeremiah, he said to those Rechabites, in verse 18, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he hath commanded you, therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. Their illustration of obedience resulted in a blessing directly from God. And you know what happened? Later, when Nebuchadnezzar came through, your family's home, the priest's town right outside Jerusalem where the priest lives, those guys that wanted to kill you, were slain, killed, all of them. But you know a family that was delivered and spared in the days of Nebuchadnezzar's captivities were the Rechabites. God gave them a blessing for their illustration of obedience. You know, God's given us many, many, many commands. Do we know them? Do we obey them? Let's start with families. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long upon the earth, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. But ye shall be witnesses unto me, Jesus said, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Oh, God has given so many different commands all the way from those that we can obey in our own families and homes to big ones that impact the world. God's given commands. Do we obey God's commands? I just imagine, I, 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 I wonder how that the Rechabites from generation to generation to generation survived in that way. You know? I don't think I would have married a Rechabite. <laughs> Sorry. Or if it was, it was going to be a new autonomous home, and we were going to do away with John and Dad. Respectfully. This question of obedience, when we think of it in this way, we live in such a society of individuality and independence that this is almost shocking to us. It really is. It's culturally shocking to us. It maybe shouldn't be so much. But yet, the question still comes down to, there's lots of man-made rules. And we have to be, we can't let man-made rules um, tell us whether or not we're spiritual. There, there are people who have made rules, and even there are subcultures that have built all kinds of elaborate social rules and even included little bits of Christianity and the people are not saved. 
they're not Christians. Traditions, even if they have a sense of spirituality, don't save you. It all comes down to your relationship with God. And if we keep reading in Jeremiah, that's what it's all about in Jeremiah too. They had a culture in Jeremiah, these totally radically different. You had the Rechabites, and then you had the pagans. And what Jeremiah was calling for all of them to do was forsake the evil, amend your ways, turn to God. So I challenge you in two things. One, if there's evil in your life, forsake it and turn to God. If there are traditions in your family or your life that you think make you right with God, I'm not telling you to do away with the traditions, but I am telling you to reevaluate your relationship with God and make sure your relationship with God is what it should be. Then you can deal with the tradition questions. And as children in the homes of your moms and dads, obey your moms and dads, even if you think they're silly rules, because God's put them as your parents, your authorities. I don't mean to obey them if they tell you to do evil. Don't do evil. You obey God rather than man in that case. But the things of others, obey them. Let's learn the important lesson of obedience. And first and foremost, obey God. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jeremiah, his example of faithfulness and witnessing, witnessing your truth. Lord, I thank you for the example the Rechabites set and what it means to obey. Lord, may we have that same passion in obeying you. We come to you and to seek you and need you in all things. And Lord Jesus, I pray most of all that each one of us here this morning will believe on you. And we will walk day by day, not in traditions of men, but in your ways, and that you might be glorified in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name.